Hello, everybody, and welcome to Wildstorm Addiction, episode 29 for January 2012. I'm Joe David Solis. And I'm Ben Murphy. And we want to wish everybody a happy new year. Hopefully everybody had a, a safe new year. And we're definitely looking forward to all the all the things we see coming in 2012. Um, you know, the new 52 for DC has been a great success as far as we've seen. And so it's just awesome that we've had the Wildstorm characters part of that success. So we have a lot of we have a lot of news uh, to go over before we go over the reviews for tonight. First off, we will be discussing you know Stormwatch number four, Grifter number four, and Voodoo number four, as well as some other Wildstorm appearances in the new DCU fifty two. Uh, we will be spoiling stuff, so be cautious of that. If you want to see read the spoiler free reviews at the website, those are always up the same week the comic comes out. I work very hard to get those out. Thank <laughs> Especially you, here in, here in the holidays, man. <laughs> Seems like the last two issues of Voodoo I had to work because Thanksgiving and Christmas to get those out. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, of the titles, on Stormwatch, uh, writer Paul Cornell's last issue will be number six. He reported on his blog that it was his decision to leave and that the first six issues set up the format for the title. Uh, he says he's still going to be on Demonites and will continue to work with the new writer concerning the connections between the two books. Paul Jenkins will be writing number seven and eight, and no writer has been announced beyond that, but Paul Jenkins has shown interest in writing the title after uh, that two-issue stint, and Cornell came on this week and did uh, voice his support for Jenkins, so that was pretty cool. Unfortunately, you know, with the, the news of Ron Mars leaving Voodoo last month, you know, we're starting to see a lot of changes come in the new DCU 52, but thankfully, Nathan Edmondson's still going to be on a grifter as far as we know, so that's good. But the big news uh, for Wildstorm fans is another Wildstorm character debuts in the DCU, as we have seen solicitations for Superman number 7 coming out in March, which has Hellspont fighting Superman on the cover, which I know uh, all are us and you know you and Chris Stryker and all the other people, Wildstorm fans geeked out about that big time when it happened when we saw it. Say what? And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there there was a resounding yay I could hear from from that small corner of the internet that we call the Wildstorm fans. <laughs> <laughs> so, not to be undersold though, uh, we also are going to be getting Midnighter showing up in Grifter's title with number seven and. In Voodoo number seven, it looks like we're going to be getting more of the Black Razors, so uh, it's good to see that, and we'll see later that uh, that that team has showed up elsewhere in the DCU. And finally, the last bit of news, which is something that's kind of gone under the radar here, so we wanted to make sure that uh, everybody knew this was coming out. Uh, here on February the 29th, uh, there is a Stormwatch Volume 1 hardcover that's solicited at DC's site. And it's it collects uh, you know the original Stormwatch number thirty seven to forty seven, which is Warren Ellis's original run. Amazon.com does have a Wildcats hardcover listed for January the twenty fourth, but unfortunately, there's no official solicitation at DC's website, so I'm not holding my breath for that one. <laughs> so, well, but at least we're getting the Stormwatch one, so it's cool. The DC is uh, still going to be putting that stuff out. Obviously, they recognize that the, those are some popular runs from the from the Wildstorm era. So, definitely pick that up, pre-order it, whatever you need to do. Encourage them to uh, release more. So, and with that, Ben, I will let you have it for the first review. <laughs> you know, I think we'd be doing ourselves a disservice just to jump in the first review without thinking about this past year. Last year, we were doing our last podcast right around this same time, pretty much sad sappy folks um with our wildstorm imprint killed and never expecting to see any of our favorite characters back and a year later we have some of our favorite characters back not only just back in a book but having their own title to themselves so it's been a freaking awesome year and we weren't expecting it at all so I'll speak for both of us. We're really excited for 2012. I'm pumped. How about you, Joe? Yes, definitely. I actually had thought about that. But yeah, just about a year ago, like you said, we were lamenting the passing of the Wallstorm universe, and now we're celebrating its triumphant return. So even if it is part of the DCU, but hopefully most people have gotten over that because it has been some pretty cool stories so far. Yeah, and I'm really excited to see how much the Wildstorm integration is really going to affect the DCU in the upcoming months 
up to summer and maybe even beyond. It's pretty awesome. All right, enough of that shenanigans. Uh, let's start out with Stormwatch number four, released on December 7th, written by Paul Cornell, with art and cover by Miguel Sepulveda, who I think has been doing an astounding job taking over for Albario Nueva. Uh, it, you know, these covers and the interiors have just been ridiculous. So it's been really cool to see that change over and it not, you know, really fall behind you know, with artist changes. Sometimes a book can get kind of crazy and and turn people off but it's it's been pretty seamless on this one um this issue really picks up uh, right off of where we were on the last one which was oh man it was like a freight train just you know hurtling down down the line there and joe did an outstanding job reviewing last month so hopefully i can do it some justice but you know this one picks up right off of the the monster from the moon that came down and gobbled up all the all of our uh, favorite heroes and, you know, Midnighters left uh, <laughs> kind of with with a big load in his pants. Like, um, how am I going to take care of this when all the uh, superheroes are basically <laughs> incapacitated and trying to kill me instead? Right off the bat, this this monster is already attacking him, and you know, and that's that's pretty much where we sit. Um, the only other person that's uh, not being controlled by this beast other than Midnighter and Apollo who's gotten his beat down in the last issue is uh, the projectionist and she's actually in the Stormwatch headquarters. She's in the eye of the storm out in space and she's kind of uh, taking care of the media and what's going on down below because you know it's wrecking havoc on Earth. So she's doing her best. She does mention that there are various hero teams that may be on their way right now. So that's something to look out for. So basically there, there's a missile projection heading towards the earth again. Um, and she mentions that it may be, you know, another, another monster missile. Um, but Midnighter has a good idea what it is. And, and we soon find out that it is Apollo and, and Midnighter picks them up and, you know, kind of dusts them off. It's actually a, kind of nice scene he's like i'm not alone down here which is <laughs> probably good for him because you know he was pretty much screwed at that point um and then we cut to inside of the monster and this is a really cool page i wish it was a double page spread honestly just just to see each one of the characters that have been gobbled up by the monster and each one of them has a little bit of uh something that they're thinking uh, as they're inside of this monster, you know, they go through Adam one and the engineer, Jenny quantum, uh, Martian Manhunter is trying to, you know, control the monster with his mind, but can't sense anything. Harry Tanner, the eminence of blades, which is the only panel that doesn't have any thought, which I think is interesting. And then, uh, Jack Hawksmore and <laughs> Jack's basically like, great, I'm going to die in the country. So then we go cut back to outside of the monster and a uh, midnighter has picked up Apollo and he's trying to get him out of the way. And he's, he's basically coaxing the monster over to a big barn full of, uh, you know, wood and nails and, and a lot of parts and pieces so that the monster can absorb it and kind of, uh, give midnighter a few extra seconds to recoup, you know, Apollo. So he does that monster starts gobbling up everything. And, uh, they, they try to figure out some strategy while on the ground uh, Midnighter slaps Apollo, tries to wake him up. Which, you know, the guy doesn't have any energy. He's used up all his energy. I don't, I don't know how that helps, but uh, he, it wakes him up. So that's a good thing, I guess. It, it's interesting because Midnighter's not part of the Stormwatch team. Apollo's not part of the Stormwatch team. Yet yeah, you can see how much, as just a superhero, they they care to take care of you know heroes and each other and and. You know, take care of this monster that is obviously here just to destroy Earth and, and everything around it. Um, and Apollo basically you know, works with the projectionist to get this uh, power station to beam a sunlight, a direct like uh, concentrated power, straight down to Apollo within seconds and power him up instantly. And he's basically a you know, heat-seeking missile at that point. He, he basically... 
gets energized and is ready to rock and he blasts straight through the middle of this monster freeing all of the all of the superheroes it's pretty pretty awesome and he's like all pumped up and everything it was really neat there's actually a funny little line there i mean people that know wildstorm and know apollo and midnight or how you know they are they are a gay couple and they actually do get married in wildstorm and we weren't really sure how far that was going to go here there is there is some mention of uh yeah midnighter you know, refers to apollo as being handsome so i thought that was interesting we we next uh move over to all the heroes that just got basically blasted out of the monster's uh stomach and they're all kind of just regaining their wits about them and uh there really nobody has any uh strategy right now and there's nobody taking any leadership control cuz Adam 1 is kind of a well, he hasn't gone batty but he just he definitely doesn't have his wits about him so the engineer basically takes over and you know says who's going to do what and you know she really lays down the game plan and everybody uh takes after it and Hawksmore um now who do we have uh Harry Tanner basically found out whenever they were in the monster's stomach uh, the name of the city that is there that's buried under the earth that Hawksmoor had a hard time getting out. And uh, maybe that's why he didn't say anything when he or was thinking anything when he was in the monster's stomach. He was trying to figure out that information. We don't know. Anyways, he gives that information to Hawksmoor, and it's uh, the city's name is Alba Umbra. And he says, oh, now that I know the name of the city, I'll I'll be able to, you know, put my will on it or I'll be able to coax it out more forcefully because I can call it by name. So they go inside the mind of Hawksmoor, and this is, you know, a new power that we've never really seen of Hawksmoor in the DCU. It's a new incarnation of his powers that we've known of his in the Wildstorm universe. And we get to see, you know, his mind's eye of what that city looks like and you know, he talks to the city, and it's an old person with a staff. It's actually, I think it's a woman. It's hard to tell. But uh, he he's able to talk it out of out of uh, its hiding. And the city comes out of the ground, and it's enormous, and it's it's beautiful, and and it's it's a magical place. And you can see how big it is because the the earth creature that swallowed all the heroes up that looked enormous. You know, when we first saw this creature. It looks tiny in respect to it. It just looks like a small little <laughs> spider. Um, and it's funny, and even Adam 1 says, Oh, that, I remember this city, I think. I can't remember from when, but I remember it. So I thought that was interesting. And, you know, they say that there's an alchemical power source in the city. And, uh, you know, Adam 1 says alchemy. And, you know, he is a very majestical person, so... So we know where this is headed. Engineer, you know, is keeping everybody in line and everything, and they come up with a plan to get the uh, get the monster in the heart of the city. And uh, they found they find this uh, crucible in the middle of the city. And and since Adam One's still kind of out of it, he can't use his powers that he needs to use to kind of take care of everything. But uh. Jenny Quantum's right there, and she's like, "Oh, I can, I can do this. I don't know what my powers are, but I know what I can do." So she uses this crucible and she casts a spell, and, and she basically is able to, you know, turn that monster into this big glass structure. It almost, you know, looks like a crazy glass city in in and of itself. You know, when she's doing this, she's you know, kind of thinking along, because we haven't really gotten to know Jenny very much, and especially for new readers. We haven't gotten to know Jenny very much if you haven't known her from the past version of her Wildstorm version. But uh, she's still a young character, you know, young in age, and she doesn't know her powers. Adam 1 was trying to teach her her powers in the first issue, as we saw. And she's going through things and all the craziness that's going on around her um, and with the team. And she's like, you know, there's alien horns. We don't know what that is. There's weird ancient cities. There's this crazy creature. It's kind of cool to see her step up like that. And um, so that basically takes care of that monster. I mean, we weren't really sure how they were going to deal with it. So that was pretty cool. And they actually make a joke like, oh, when the other heroes stumble upon this place, they're really going to have a, 
an, an Eiffel, like this big, huge, crazy, you know, glass creature that just showed up out of nowhere in the middle of a farm field. So basically all the, you know, the whole team teleports them back to Stormwatch headquarters, the eye of the storm. And then, you know, because Adam one was out of it and he couldn't, he couldn't really direct the team and he, you know, he kind of failed at that. You know, we cut to the, the bridge of the eye of the storm and the projectionist is still up there hanging out. And there's this mysterious figure, you know, and he's just an outline, but inside of him, you see like all these universes inside of him. And he says that he's the, uh, Stormwatch shadow cabinet, or he's a representative of the Stormwatch shadow cabinet. And he's here for Adam and because Adam one failed as Stormwatch's leader. So that's how this issue ends after they've defeated their first main, you know, menace of that big, huge creature that came down from the moon. And, you know, and now they have to deal with leadership and really where this team is headed. Cause you know, since we've known them, it's just been this motley crew that hasn't, I mean, they've had some sort of structure, but we haven't really understood what it is, who's really running the show here, and it's it's been kind of crazy. So it would be interesting to see where the next arc, arc takes us. Uh, really intense issue. It went by super fast. I will say, though, you know, when we talked about the first few issues of Stormwatch and new readers that don't really know these characters, and there's a lot of new characters for us to learn about, now, I can't say that I know that much about Martian Manhunter or even the new characters that they've created. This issue, even though it was very fast-paced and there was still a lot of action, I felt like for the people that have been reading it and haven't really understood the characters that well, it was a much more easy issue to follow because basically they were focused on finishing off this monster and the main threat, and that was about it. That was their only job. There wasn't any jumping around trying to learn you know, about characters or anything. It was just, this is the mission, and they completed it. And and that was this issue. So I felt like it was a much easier read as far as the, you know, the first three went. You know, I, I think a lot of people were thrown off by that. But I think if they stuck with it, they can really start to see where this is, where this is headed. And it's heading in an awesome place. And I, I love that we have such a crazy cast of characters with Stormwatch. I mean... You know, we've joked that it's basically the authority, but you know, it's it's everybody. I I'm excited to see who pops up in in this book because it has so much potential and they have so much reach. It seems on this universe uh, that they've been thrown into with you know, <laughs> even though they're Stormwatch with the authority that they seem to have on everybody and everything. So are you as out of breath as I was when I did number three? <laughs> a little bit. I need a little sip of water here. <laughs> but not as much as you, I don't think. <laughs> well, see, my thing, you know, number three was was awesome. I mean, I gave it a 10 out of 10 for a reason. This one, on the other hand, I mean, I liked it, but I did not want it to end this issue, you know. I would have been fine with a couple more issues of building up towards beating the creature, you know, because I just was like, it was just such a great setup, and then all of a sudden it's done, you know. <laughs> and I did like how it was, and I did like that we, fo- that we focused on Midnighter and Apollo. But I don't know, it's interesting because, like, we saw that Cornell's going to, you know, do two more issues, which is basically, I guess, a little two-issue arc. And then, you know, the arc that Jenkins is going to do, seven and eight, is only two issues long, since he didn't know if he was going to stay longer which I hope by now he does, you know, because solicitations for that will come out soon. <laughs> but, yeah, I just, uh, this is one of those times when I wouldn't have minded them writing for the trade, you know, because you know the trade's going to be the first six issues. Because, yeah, like you said, there is a lot of characters to keep up with, and with a team book it's always hard to to write multiple characters and at the same time try to make sure your audience is keeping up because yeah it is a lot to keep up with and the, i think the one advantage we did have is that we know half of these characters from the wallstrom universe the other half you know harry tanner the projectionist and yeah even to an extent martian manager like you said uh because i mean i know him from from justice league but i've never really followed justice league until the new 52 so so it, it is interesting and uh and yeah, I like the little the little nods, like you said, the page where the where they're all inside the creature and Harry Tanner's, you know, uh, little box or panel. I mean, is 
is speechless, <laughs> you know, so it totally goes with his character. And it kind of keeps with Cornell, I think, a little sense of humor with a lot, some of these characters, too. And yeah, it is it is cool to see this is the first interaction with uh, Midnighter and Apollo. And like he said, he was going to kind of build the romance a little bit, but I don't know how much he's going to do that in just two more issues, you know. <laughs> so he's going to have to turn that over to Jenkins, whoever comes on. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just overall... I don't know if he knew early on that he was going to leave, so maybe he did have it planned out longer and then decided to finish up faster and so he can tell whatever story he wants to tell these next two issues concerning Adam 1. Because Adam 1 is turning out to be a very important character, as we'll see when we talk about Demon Knights later. That's why it's kind of a shame to see some of the writers being switched around so early in this you know, New 52 thing. I was hoping that that the vast majority of them would get at least the first year to play around with the titles. Well, that's my only thing with this one is, is I just didn't want it to end this quickly. I, I didn't really have a problem with that, actually. We never got a chance to to interview Paul, unfortunately. But, you know, if you're a new writer jumping on a new book and it's a very, you know, it's a new book to a very new universe, because honestly, the DCU 52 is a new universe really because they're starting it over i wouldn't last too long in that very first monster you know really you look at the cast of characters that are in this book and it is an amazing team book and i don't i don't know that people realize how how massive and how powerful this team book is compared to some of the others that are that are in the 52 but really i i think they almost got blindsided by this this monster and and took it too lightly because the combined powers they probably could have handled it pretty easily and and i don't think that he was going to last make it last too long because really i think they can handle much larger threats to to the earth and to the universe at large you know and and i was i was actually when i think about it now probably surprised that they got caught off guard by by this this creature alone but it's just my thought on it. Yeah, well, he did say that we were kind of, at the same time being introduced to the team, we're kind of seeing it's, uh, you know, how they how they split up, which is kind of funny, a funny way to start a team book, you know. And I know some of the solicitations have mentioned that that we're, that we're going to see some of the characters leave already and things like that. So that's that's a, it's definitely an interesting way to to start a team book by basically the team breaking up. <laughs> <laughs> so. So kudos to Cornell for trying something different. So we'll see where this next little two-issue arc about Adam 1 goes. And obviously we'll get to learn more about the, the Shadow Cabinet, which again was mentioned in Demon Knights. So so we'll get to talking about that later. But um, uh, anything else you want to say about the issue before I move on? No, it's an awesome title. You guys better be reading it. And tell all your friends. <laughs> yes, because the trades will be out next summer. <laughs> so don't wait. There's lots of good stuff coming before then. So next we're going to move on to uh, Grifter number 4, which was released on uh, December the 14th. It's written by Nathan Edmondson, who is still on the book. Yay! (laughs) And with art by Wildstorm veteran artist Scott Clark. And we do get one last image of Grifter on the cover by uh, Cafu, who had been doing the first three issues of the series. So, So that was nice to get at least one more from him before he's already gone, I think, on Blackhawks or something. I don't remember where he went, but... But uh, I will just start off by saying that this this so far to me was the most fun issue of Grifter so far <laughs> because I don't know if it was the fact that uh, that he brought Scott Clark on and to me Clark you know he's obviously a, a guy that that came from the '90s and you know I know a lot of people you know dog the '90s and all this stuff and but you know <laughs> he's definitely a good choice for an action book i'll tell you that um you know the first few the first three issues of grifter was a lot of setup you know we did get some action you know obviously we we uh we had the the story between him and his brother who we assume is dead but uh you know i think we know otherwise (laughs) this was also this was kind of like when i saw that green arrow was going to cross over here it was kind of the way i felt when green lantern was going to cross over voodoo i was i was kind of i was kind of leery you know because it's like it's almost like an excuse because i understand you know you got to cross promote the brooks and so on and so forth but 
you got to convince me that it makes sense. And with Voodoo, thankfully, Green Lantern, they made it make sense. And I can honestly say here, too, with Green Arrow, they did a good job of making it make sense as well because they tied it in the reason Grifter was here to Green Arrow's company, and that's that's why Grifter's here with the, the Damon ID capture last issue. And, you know, we start the issue with uh, with a very action movie-worthy scene where Grifter literally drives a car into the lobby of Green Arrow's <laughs> company with the Damonite uh, infested person, I guess, <laughs> in tow. You know, I'm sure Scott Clark back in the day got to draw Grifter somewhere along the lines, but I, I just love his rendition of Grifter. It's just, to me, this is this is it. This is Grifter from the 90s, but obviously he's updated. He's got, instead of the, the VADs, he's got the, you know, modern weaponry and got a more streamlined look where it's basically the mask only and, you know, the rest of his attire is basically just military style. And this issue was also interesting, too, because I don't really know much about Green Arrow other than, again, what I've seen in Justice League and, you know, the cartoons and things like that. And obviously, that rendition of Green Arrow is older. In this one, you know, they've made him younger. Uh, I've heard people describe this Green Arrow as kind of like the Tony Stark of the of the DCU now, <laughs> which I can kind of see that because it's his company is all about technology and that's where his... Uh, you know his different arrows come from and whatnot. So, but they they meet up pretty quick early on. As soon as uh, you know Grifter crashes into the building, and it opens up with a really cool scene where Green Arrow shoots at Grifter, and Grifter is actually able to catch Green Arrow's arrow. <laughs> and Grifter, in her internal monologue, makes a comment. He says, "It would be a long time before I understood how I just done that." <laughs> so. It's pretty cool that uh, that Edmondson is uh, putting some hints in there about what it is Grifter can really do because you know there's still a lot of questions about what was carried over from the Wildstorm U and I don't remember Grifter ever being able to do stuff like that so it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how Nathan explains that later on but yeah we start some great action after that of him you know trying to take out Green Arrow and having to get away after that because he starts hearing the the Daemonites again, that apparently the Daemonites have infiltrated Green Arrow's company. So that's the connection there. Meanwhile, we get a quick uh, quick visit back in with the uh, Colonel, <laughs> uh, who is still you know, tracking down Grifter and learning about him and apparently getting threats from higher-ups in the government that if he doesn't uh, do something about this soon, he's not going to have a career to speak of. So... And just then, that's when one of his um, one of his soldiers brings up and shows that they're spotted Grifter in Seattle. So then, back in Seattle, Grifter is running through the city. Uh, Green Arrow is chasing him down. <laughs> I, I swear that this issue uh, had a co-direction by Michael Bay because it's like as I'm watch as I'm reading this, this is so like a Michael Bay movie. But it's great because to me, that's that's so appropriate for Grifter, you know. It's like he'd he'd be the one I'd go to if I didn't want a Grifter movie. <laughs> There'd be lots of explosions, and um, so I mean you got a scene where Grifter, you know, literally runs into a car wash. Of course, comes out in a hot, uh, you know, hot car and shooting a Green Arrow, rigging the car to where you know he can still drive it, but he's able to jump out on top of the hood and fire backwards. And I mean, it's just some crazy, <laughs> crazy, crazy action scenes in this one. And, I mean, there's even a scene where Green Arrow is able to shoot Grifter's mask off just because he wants to try to see who, you know, who Grifter really is. And, I mean, he's able to recover pretty quickly and grab his mask back. And by the time you know it, you know, you're in a classic Mexican standoff where where they both face-to-face, you know, gun in hand, arrow in face type of thing. <laughs> you know, Grifter's trying to uh, get answers from Green Arrow, but, of course, Green Arrow has no idea what the heck he's talking about. And it's funny... When he first uh, mentions, you know, the Daemonites, Green Arrow has no idea what he's talking about. And then here, unfortunately, <laughs> we come to the part where, <laughs> as much as it hurt me to, to read it, I under- I had to accept it that uh, Green Arrow does beat Grifter in his own book, too. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> how can you beat somebody on their own turf? After that, he leaves Grifter to the police, which he never should have done, because that uh, gives Grifter a chance to get away, but not of his own accord. 
we actually get a another new character, some mysterious um, Mexican woman who shows up uh, throwing tear gas at the police and telling Grifter to jump on her motorcycle and they'll take off. It was kind of confusing at first because other than, you know, uh, darker toned skin, I thought it was Gretchen because she has the same haircut and everything. But uh, but obviously not. Obviously, this girl, uh, I don't remember they say her name. Uh, oh, yeah, Sofia Cordon. <laughs> and she just takes Grifter off and nobody, you know, everybody's wondering who the heck she is and why is she helping Grifter. And, and there's an interesting exchange here towards the end when, uh, when Green Arrow is trying to get some information from his headquarters and he tells them to do a search for the term Demon Knight, <laughs> which I thought was very, very cool, especially since some of the guys on the message boards had talked about how Demonites and Demonites, you know, it's very interchangeable. So I don't know if Paul Cornell is going to do something with that later, but it'd be very interesting to see if he does. And then we uh, end the issue with uh, Gretchen, who is captured by the Demonites, and they're trying to get some information from her about Grifter. So Grifter has definitely made an impression with the Damonites. Uh, you know, the line that he had the last issue, you know, telling them that this is the face that they'll, that they'll remember. I mean, that was awesome. And obviously, you know, the Damonites in this world are showing that they are more covert. You know, it's funny, they're kind of... The, they're more like the Wildcats team was, uh, where everything they're doing, you know, they don't want to draw attention to themselves. It's all behind the scenes. Um, it's kind of the way the Damonites were, I guess, early on in Wildstorm, but later on as the landscape of the Wildstorm universe changed, so did their role. But here in the DCU, they're obviously planning an invasion, and as we've seen over there in Voodoo, you know, they're using her to help gather information. Here, their encounter with Grifter... I think it's funny considering, you know, that, that the Damonites know, obviously, that there are other superheroes in the world, because that's what they're having Voodoo do, is gather information, is that, uh, you know, somebody like Grifter, who they probably wouldn't consider a threat at all, is turning out to be their greatest threat. More like a thorn in their side, I think, <laughs> than anything else. I think he's just... Uh, disrupting their plans and and they and they have no idea how to deal with him because he's he's becoming very elusive as you see i i think this this issue has made me enjoy the grifter title that much more just because i think it's the first time you know that that uh since nathan had already set up so much in the first three issues i think he was just able to have fun with this issue and just um just have a good action comic you know and it, it was it was a lot of fun I really enjoyed the Green Arrow appearance. I mean, they left it open to where these two could meet again, but I, I don't really foresee like Green Arrow becoming like a nemesis for Grifter or anything like that. But you know, they 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 had a first uh, a really cool first encounter, even if Grifter did lose. <laughs> but I really enjoyed this issue. What did you think, Ben? Yeah, it was cool. Um, well, if anything, it puts them on Green Arrow's radar and. Like Nathan said, Grifter's the most wanted man in the DCU. So, yeah, I I didn't expect him to win against the you know each other. Green Arrow's a superhero; he has been for a long time, and Grifter really doesn't know what the heck's going on with him. <laughs> to be honest, uh, he didn't even know why he was able to catch that arrow. And uh, you know, obviously, he's had some special ops training in the ba- in the past, but you know, at some point. Nathan's got to slow this down and, you know, do some character building and, and kind of, you know, show the audience how Grifter came to be so highly trained and, and so good at what he's able to do right now, which is to elude everybody and everything that's going on around him and be able to throw off an entire species that's trying to invade Earth, <laughs> honestly. But, yeah, it was another fun, really fast issue, you know. Yeah, very cinematic. Um, it was really cool to see Scott Clark's art. It really does bring you back to the 90s, and the way that the way that it was inked by Beatty, yeah, it, it really brought me back. It was awesome. I, you know, and I loved what Cafu was doing, but it was just fun it, just to see Grifter drawn like that. I I thought it was cool. So, yeah, I mean... As we'll mention soon, um, just to see how much 
grifter and the Damonite influence is going to become in the DCU, probably and hopefully in the next year. I, I'm really excited for this title, and I love reading it every month, so I'm pretty stoked about it. Yeah, and and it's it's really cool to see you know with with obviously what we talked about earlier with the solicitations with you know Hellspawn showing up over in Superman that that you know they weren't just adding in the Wildstorm U and be like okay well that's y'all's corner over there we're gonna play over here with the new fifty two you know <laughs> so they really are doing an integration and that and that is what's exciting you know is that I mean I'm anticipating some sort of big crossover probably in the summer I'd assume. You know, but the solicitations we'll have to wait and see. But obviously, you know, the Damonites had started with Grifter. You know, we saw a little bit in Voodoo, and and now we're going to see some in Stormwatch, and then in Superman. And it just, I mean, I just hope it keeps growing. And it's kind of like, okay, you know, Jim Lee was like, okay, you can use my universe, but you're going to use my universe, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, that's that's really cool. And obviously, like you mentioned early on, that like Jeff Johns had a hand in all that. So. So that's going to be really cool to see what kind of uh, event we're working towards because you know that's coming. It's inevitable. <laughs> it, it it likely is. And as we go over the upcoming releases and everything, guys, seriously, I, you know, we have a very small audience right now, and you guys have stuck with us for two years now, and Joe and I are very thankful for it because we are the Wildstorm diehards, really, the few, the proud. And as we see the influence really start to take hold in the DCU, like it's up to us to, to let the word out how awesome these characters are and really to go back to all the old Wildstorm stuff, catch up on some of that. Cause it, there is some really great stories that, you know, probably the majority of the DC diehards never really got to read and let them know about us as well. You know, we could always use the audience and it just, Gives more people talking about Wildstorm and the cool characters that were out there for so long. Anyways, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> we always gotta we always gotta wave the flag every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on to Voodoo number four, released on December twenty eighth, written by Ron Mars and art by Sammy Bosry, cover by John Tyler Christopher. Just to let you know, this is Ron Mars's last issue, sadly. I can't believe it, you know, he came and went so quickly. Yeah, I mean, really, he brought Voodoo into this universe, and it's sad to see him go so quickly. But anyways, we enter this issue, uh, and the title of the issue is called Voodoo in Breaking and Entering. So basically, uh, you see her in, I guess, their heat or cooling ducts in uh, a government installation, is all we're told. And we have a voiceover, and it says, let's start with what we know. And it basically, as we go through this book, it really intercedes between the government agency that is tracking Voodoo, and we get to watch Voodoo as they talk amongst each other and are going over the facts that they know about Voodoo. So right now, Voodoo's kind of uh, infiltrating this government agency, and we don't know where she's at, but she's in a government building that you can tell it's heavily secured. Um, she's over a vent and she's kind of just looking around and she's taking her time and she jumps down in between two guards and quickly takes them out. It's interesting to see that her, her abilities are being enhanced every time we see her as to what we know that she can do. So even as she takes out these two guards, she's, she looks like her human form, what we know of her as, and she muffles these two soldiers with her alien hand tentacle things, which I found kind of interesting. So I guess she can partially shift as well, use her alien abilities as well as still take a human form. As we see this action, the government officials are talking about her and her upbringing, her past and her life basically, and, and how she was born um, in Louisiana under the name of Priscilla Catane where she moved from there on out that her mother was killed at the age of four and, and, and she kind of fell off the, the map, so to speak. She wraps those guards up, steals the key card off of one of the soldiers so that she can continue to uh, infiltrate the building that she's in. Um, and then we cut to the actual agents that were talking over the voiceover and, and are going through the facts. And it's, Agent Fallon, basically the blonde woman that we know of from 
a Black Ops book from the original Wildstorm universe. And then we see uh, we see Blackjack. He's there as well, and he's the new leader of the Black Razors in the DCU. Agent, the other federal officer who's who's running it. It's Captain Hurley, I believe. And and they're all going over the evidence, and they have pictures of of Voodoo dancing, and they have they actually have pictures of Agent uh, Evans who was murdered in the first issue that we saw. Um, and Blackjack, you know, kind of apologizes to to Agent Fallon about a remark that he makes about his death, and he forgot that he was her partner, basically. And they're going over all that evidence, and and we continue to flash back and forth between that conversation or the that conversation being played over top of the action that Voodoo is infiltrating this this building, and we go back to another soldier or security guard interaction and you know they bump into each other and and one of the guards is like hey you you owe me 20 bucks or something and and we can obviously tell that this is actually voodoo playing the role of another security guard that's being called out and she doesn't know what's going on but she kind of you know uses her skills and plays it off like oh oh yeah 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 i'll have that for you tomorrow no problem uh, which is pretty cool and very, very quick thinking. And she uses that security badge that she stole off of the, one of the other security guards to, to get into this room. And it's obviously a, a technical room. And we get some uh, really cool geeky nods here um, with the coffee mug, what it says, I speak XML and stuff like that. And it's basically this computer jockey and she sneaks up on him. And he's like, hey, you can't be in here. This is classified building and all this stuff. And she's like, you know, my name's Priscilla, but people call me Voodoo. And she starts to work her mojo on this nerd, which, <laughs> which is kind of funny. She's probably never seen anybody this hot. And she is hot. And we'll just say that she's hot. And she, she works her magic on him and, and sits in his lap and everything, uses her skills that she picked up in her uh, dancing uh, background. And she kisses him. And he's all disgruntled and everything, or, you know, disheveled, totally thrown off by this person who snuck into his classified room. And he quickly starts gagging and everything, and she explains herself that uh, some species can actually secrete toxins through their skin, even their lips. Pretty cool, huh? Like, it's it's just neat. Like, with each issue, we get to see, you know, her her skills and her adaptation as an alien form grow. And we get to learn more and more about her. So he's basically incapacitated, and she takes over his his terminal, and and she's basically there to learn about all the superheroes because that's what her alien race is trying to do, and that's what her task is specifically. So she takes over the terminal, and she starts with Superman. You see the the screenshot, and she's opening file dot Superman, which that's pretty cool. I wish I had that file. And then we flip back to the agency, and and there looking at a map and where her last known whereabouts were and, and they're going through all all that account what they know where she should be and, and they also start talking about her abilities and how they think that that she must only have a temporary shift um, and that she can't hold it infinitely which is probably true but we don't know that yet um, just because of the encounter that they've had before because she did actually shapeshift into Agent Fallon at one point and we flip back to Voodoo, and we actually see a screenshot of the Justice League. And if you look closely, there's text all over it. And there's actually files on the Razors, which I find interesting because they are their own government agency, and it's right there. It says hello.razor. And there's another file underneath that says hello.voodoo, or she's typing that in and trying to break it. Can't really tell. It looks like they're files, though. Anyways, there's some interesting little, little things in there, uh, little Easter eggs. She puts it on a little little thumb drive and crashes the system on her way out and turns to the the computer geek and says, don't bother getting up. And she leaves. And I don't know why she leaves in her own normal human form, but she does. And she's quickly seen by, by a bunch of the security guards. And she gets into a big fight, which is really cool. She you know, snags some dude in the throat, uh, grabs... Grabs a gun, shots go off, and as this happens, we see another new ability of hers, and she 
almost like a porcupine, shoots these quills out of her body, uh, incapacitating that that soldier. And I don't know if it poisons them instantly, probably because of the same way that you know she explained to that to that computer tech what happened. I assume that she does the same thing, but with these quills. So that's that's a cool new new ability that we learn about. Um, and, and and next we move back to the the agents that are that are trying to track her, and Agent Fallon starts to. You know, as she's talking about voodoo and everything, she starts to light up a, a cigarette. And Captain Hurley's, you know, trying to get her attention. And is like, no, seriously, you can't light a cigarette. It's a government building. You can't light a cigarette in here. And as she's lighting the cigarette and putting it away, you hear the alarms go off in the building, which is an interesting juxtaposition because you think that it might have been from her trying to light up the cigarette that the alarms are going off. But really, we find that, you know, it's because Voodoo is actually in the same facility that they're in. Um, so she's infiltrated their government building. And next we go to the backup generators that they discuss, oh, no big deal, we lost power, but the backup generators will kick on in a few minutes. Well, we see that Voodoo slashed the crap out of the generators, and that power is not coming back on in that building anytime soon. And she shifts back into her... She's in her alien form whenever she slashed all those generators. And she shifts back into her human form as she walks away. And Asian Fallon's like, oh, that's got to be her. There, there can't be any other thing. She's in my own building. And they cut to the outside of the building. And you know all the people are pouring out of the building. Because that's what you do when you have a fire alarm. Everybody has to evacuate the building. And uh, her and Blackjack have a, have a little... Uh, We'll call it a nice discussion, but they're yelling at each other, and she's like, she's over there. And she actually, Voodoo has actually shifted back into Agent Fallon's form again, uh, clothed differently. But she's really just trying to blend in with all the other people that poured out of the building to get out or away. At least that's what we think happened. And so Agent Fallon starts going after this woman that looks exactly like her. And then they turn the corner, and then all we see is a, a security guard that's you know walking the fence with a German shepherd. And for some reason, he can't control the German shepherd, and the German shepherd takes off and runs away, basically. And uh, as the German shepherd walks behind this tree, um, you, see, you see the German shepherd go in, and then Voodoo come out in her human form, and she's been able to escape once again. So her abilities are pretty awesome, basically, because she can basically do whatever she wants and and get away with it almost. Because no nobody should be able to infiltrate a government agency like that and tip them off and escape once again. Um, so this issue ends basically outside rural, well, in rural Alabama, and they're you know they go back to Skinny's service garage that we saw in last issue, um, which was a front for some of her alien cohorts and commander basically and his his operation here on Earth, and um, you know it got blown up in the last issue and and they got away from Green Lantern, uh, yeah, Green Lantern in the last issue. And so, really, we just see a kid that's that's hanging around the garage, and some semi-official guy because he's not wearing a tie, but he does have a suit jacket on, and and the kid's just around looking for scrap because you know the building got demolished and everything, and he he knew Skinny, the garage operator, um, even though he was an alien, the kid probably didn't ever know that, and he's just scavenging trying to find something cool that he can take and earn for himself. And this guy is like, uh, you know, you missing anything that you can think of? And, and the guy's like, no, just uh, Skinny's red red T-Bird. And, you know, he loved that car. And the guy's like, huh, red, huh? And he shoots this kid. And I assume kills this kid with the gun that was laying on the ground. And, and the kid didn't want the gun because he just figured it was a toy. And, you know, he's too old for, you know, a silly little toy like that. But this guy kills kills this kid and walks off and he's like thanks kid thanks for the information and that's how this 
issue ended, so that is the cliffhanger. Not only will Voodoo be next, but who is this new character, and what does he want with this race, I guess? I don't know. He's he's after Skinny, so I assume that he, he knows a little bit about what's going on. Uh, really cool issue. Um, I feel like Voodoo, out of any of the the new new Wildstorm titles in the DCU is the most scattered. I mean, she is all over the place. And the story, I mean, it's cohesive in the fact that, yes, we've been focusing on Voodoo the whole time, but man, (laughs) I don't know why. It's it's just so all over the place, especially with Green Lantern showing up and, and everything and learning about this new alien race and it not being the Daemonites. Like, yeah, it's just really weird to me because that's what I know of Voodoo is her being a a crossbreed breed between you know Carabim and, and Damani it's it's hard for me to separate that fact that she is a new race and that there are a lot of races out there that you know want to invade earth so be really interesting to see what her race has to do with the you know the Damonite invasion that may be coming up in the summer and, and to see if you know her race has any major impact on that as well Oh, what did you think of the issue, Joe? Yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it it is kind of all over the place, and and it 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 has been interesting to see how they did kind of throw us off a little bit with that, to where she doesn't seem to be a Daemonite, but she seems to be involved with them. Because that that guy, if you remember the one you're talking about at the end, that shows the kid, he is a Daemonite because he showed that at the end of issue three. Skinny and you know the other two girls who were with him last issue. They talk about how they're working for you know for somebody who we assume and maybe the Daemonites, but they themselves were not Daemonites either. Right. And the ironic thing is, I mean, we saw uh, Sammy Basri draw Voodoo's true form in issue one, and you know, plenty of time since. But to me, that issue, I mean, that uh, scene where she slashes the generator, that to me is the best rendition of it so far and it actually looks more like a traditional daemonite did you know the wallstorm you so kind of interesting how they're playing with that well you were talking about why she switches back to her normal form they actually made a comment about that here because agent fallon says something about you know when they were fighting she retained her form right up until she left you know why would she do that unless there's some kind of limit on how often she can shift so i mean we found out that that's another difference with this character too. Is that apparently Voodoo's ability to shapeshift has to do with technology, not not an inherent power uh, like in her old version. So that's interesting too. Uh, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. It is it is a little hard to to grasp. You know what is it about this character? And I guess it's a good thing because you know there's some readers out there who know nothing about her, so they're trying to figure it out too. But we're trying to erase a lot of what we know and see what's still true and not true. Even if there is a limit to our powers, well, whatever that technology may be, I just thought it was interesting because, you know, when she was with Agent Fallon, you know, and they were basically having sex, which I thought was weird, <laughs> um, you know, she was shifted into that form for a very long time. And here, when she was with the computer tech, you know, it had to have been a mere moment, moments, you know, so you think that she could have re- retained a different form for a longer period of time. So, I don't know. It, I mean, I get what they were trying to do, but I just... Timing seemed weird to me. As far as if that was a limit, it just seemed odd. I don't know. Not a big deal. I'm not, not going to get hung <laughs> up on it. It is a comic book. <laughs> well, we'll have to see, too, You know how much the new writer, Josh Williamson, is going to go into all that, too. Because he said that he's going to retain you know a lot of what uh ron mars has done maybe give a little bit more focus i don't know i mean i, I understand like you said too it ha- kind of has felt a little bit all over the place but i think obviously you know ron mars was just trying to introduce us to to the different aspects of this you know the i mean we still have agent fallon in each issue you know we had blackjack show up again so um you know if you know mars is writing from other things you know that that uh his setups always have a good payoff, so unfortunately we'll never get to see what his payoff was. You know, we'll see Williams Williamson's uh, version of whatever the payoff's going to be. You know, it was just sad that uh, that they just they literally just took him off this. I mean, they, they didn't even give him any warning or anything like that. So, 
we don't know the true truth to that, but <laughs> that's how it feels yeah. to us, I suppose. No, well, he said, I mean, he turned in the, the script to issue five, and they said, no, we don't like it. So they had Williamson redo it, and that was it. <laughs> so, But yeah, I mean, I'm still enjoying it. I mean, this is one of the ones, unfortunately, that a lot of people are not trying out. And I'm hoping that with the new writer, there'll be something that'll draw more people back to the title. Because obviously, you know, the first issue, there's a lot of controversy and all that. And hopefully all that's died down. And again, when the trades do come out, you'll get the first six issues. And, you know, by then, maybe we will be deep into, you know, a Damonite invasion of the DCU. We don't know. That'll be already into the summer by the time that comes out. So I'm just really pulling for this title. You know, it's it's the it's the one that I've been worried about since the beginning. You know, when DC starts making their cuts, <laughs> I hope this is not on the chop, chopping block. So uh, all we can do is keep pushing it, and you know, we'll see what Williamson has to bring uh, with issue five and and beyond that. And hopefully, like I said, with all the attention being brought with the Dame Knights through the different titles, you know, people hopefully will give any of those issues in February that cross over, hope they'll give them a try. So other than that, yeah, enjoying it. A little worried. Just just trying to hang in there. <laughs> have to have to mention real quick though, I really love John Tyler Christopher's covers for this series. <laughs> they have been amazing. I mean the only one he didn't do was issue one, but so far he's done two, three and four. And they're just great. They're just great. <laughs> I just I would love to see you know if he's able to do interiors or if he only does paintings. But I think his covers have been great. So Agreed. Uh, we'll move on to some other Wildstorm sightings and tie-ins, and there was a lot of them this month. Yes, there was. <laughs> Apparently, uh, I, I, I'm just going to have to just start getting Demon Knights and Superboy from the comic shop again, because it's taking too long. I'm sorry. I'm loving <laughs> uh, you know, Discount Comic Book Service, because it's, it's saving me a lot of the bat titles. <laughs> but I'm just going to have to start getting them again because there's too much that's happening that I'm missing out and I, I literally like with Superboy I had to go back into the shop because I forgot about it and just flip through it real quick and saw okay Fairchild's only in the first few pages so I literally read through it real quick and then when she was gone I'm like okay I got it so you know so I'll have to start doing that with issue 6 because I already have 4 and 5 on order so we did have that was actually on December the 14th that was Superboy number 4 where Fairchild, you know, had just revealed to Superboy at the end of the last issue that she has powers too. And apparently, you know, she still is retaining her super strength in the old continuity and is able to uh, get Superboy in a chokehold and hold him there. <laughs> and uh, apparently we also found out that he, she is not susceptible to his telekinesis powers. And she mentions that uh, neither she nor the other 13, she mentions, are susceptible to that. So that was really interesting. And shortly after that, he gets smart and actually uses his TK ability to throw a locker at her or something, if I remember right, and knocks her out. So, so that was interesting. And apparently, you know, Project Nowhere soldiers come in and take her away and say that they knew there was a mole in their organization. And now they found her. They're going to deal with her. And, so obviously, you know, her story with Superboy is not over yet. So that's that's been really interesting so far and really looking forward to see what else Scott Lobdell is going to be writing on that. Um, what do we think the 13 means? <laughs> a new book. <laughs> Gen, Gen 13? Could there yeah. be 13? Uh, I, I, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> You know, maybe if you backtrack and if they use all the characters from Gen 13 and Gen 14 and all the other ones that have popped up here and there, you might get their team pretty easy. So, wow. now that would that would be an intense team book. I mean, we've seen how much trouble we've seen following Stormwatch with so many characters. <laughs> you might have to do like the old X-Men, you know, the, the Team A and Team B or whatever. <laughs> so Don't let them run into the Teen Titans. That would be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that would be cool. We'll see. We'll see what they're setting up. So, and also on the fourteenth, we did have Demon Knights number four come out, and I haven't read it. Uh, did but from the guys at the at Clark's Bar's message boards, you know, the main thing they found out was Adam One is Merlin. So there's the tie finally. Uh, I don't know if he's the Sentry Baby we've been waiting for. I don't think so, but he's definitely the first 
obvious tie between that and Stormwatch, you know, with Paul Cornell writing both. So did you get to read number four of Demon Knight? So I did, and I've caught up on this title because my comic shop is awesome, and they did a discount over Christmas, and I was able to catch up. Um, actually, it was for Black Friday. But uh, this issue, you know, it revolved around The Shining Knight, and The Shining Knight kind of had a, uh, I wouldn't say a hallucination, but like a vision. And the vision was of Merlin, who, you know, has been revealed as Adam-1, because basically as Merlin introduces himself to the, to the Shining Knight in this vision, he basically says, I am Merlin, and this is all of space and time. Pretty, isn't it? I live backwards. I started old. I'm getting younger. This fact I'm still very old means the universe still has a while to live. So, and, and we, when we were introduced to Adam One, you know, we had that that quick glimpse back and in, into his character, what he he is in his old state, and what he is now as Adam One. So I'm sure throughout the centuries that he's changed his name throughout the centuries, and it'd be really cool to see who he would be throughout the centuries. I have a feeling maybe we'll get to see some of that um, in some other books. But uh, yeah, so there's your connection directly. And the whole Daemonites and Demonites thing, you know, that's been teased uh, even in Gr- this past Grifter uh, with Green Arrow, you know, saying, you know, look up Demon Knights instead of Daemonites. And in in this issue four of Demon Knights, you know, the, the issue title... Um, is is called like the coming storm or something like that, or it's called in Merlin watches the storm, and you know they have mention in the Demonite title about the coming storm that's that's coming. So we're starting to see those ties that that uh, Paul Cornell has been been writing and start to come together. So it's been pretty cool. Hmm. Yeah, how did I not see that? It was always one of the coolest aspects of Merlin was that he aged backwards, you know. So, oh well, that is really cool, though. Um, another couple of minor appearances. Uh, also on the fourteenth, we had Legion Lost number four. Uh, we did have the Black Rangers show up, and thanks to uh, Dave E. B. from Clark's Bar for that heads up. So that's that's cool to see that that team is being used across the DCU because obviously they're a big organization. And um, unfortunately, I didn't pick up this issue. I just, uh, you know, it's just getting to be too much. And I really didn't see that they had too much of a role in there. I mean, they may have a a battle between them and Legion Lost next issue. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, that'll likely be the next issue because really the only appearance is... Uh, Legion Lost running into them at the very end, and they're basically joking to one another, like, "Wow, what else can go wrong?" You know, yeah. as, as the Black Razors are being introduced, um, and it's, re- it's really only one p- panel where they're like, "We're the Black Razors," which is kind of <laughs> goofy, but <laughs> it's okay. yeah. So I have a feeling the next issue will be them confronting them. Yeah, if it is, I'll, I might pick up both, but we'll see. It's just it's just a lot to follow. Man. It really is, and, <laughs> and, uh, and this I mean, is I've, why I liked it when Wildstorm was its own imprint because I was like, "Hey, I can handle three or four issues a month," and now it's you know it's continuing, and my wife's going to kill me. Because <laughs> <laughs> then uh, the following week we had uh, on the twenty first we had Green Lantern Corps number four, which apparently has a Martian Manhunter appearance. And he uses a door of sorts. It doesn't really look like a door, but you know. But thanks to Ray at Clark's Bar for giving us a heads up on that. And you know he's part of Stormwatch, so technically that's an appearance. Yeah. So um, yeah, that, that's loose. That's loosely. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I'm going to go and get that just for that one appearance of Martian Man. In my opinion, who was never part of the Wildstorm universe, that I feel the need to do that. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it's noteworthy because he is Stormwatch now. And and the last thing, uh, like I said, I haven't got this one either, but on the 28th, uh, Teen Titans number four came out, so you said you didn't notice anything in there? Nope. Okay. Well, they're still building the Superboy, you know, confrontation, so maybe she'll show up. We'll see. 
Anyway, what else we got coming out this month, Ben? January is going to be a good month. We have Stormwatch number five on the 4th, so that's this week. Hopefully I'll get this out before that comes out, but hey, I'm not holding my breath. Um, <laughs> the following <laughs> week, Grifter number five comes out on January 11th, along with Superboy number five, which we hope Caitlin will also be in appearance. Uh, Demon Knights number five. Uh, so we might find some more connections to Stormwatch. Don't know about that. Legion Loss number five. Probably a confrontation with the Black Razor. So if that's something that you want to check out, that would be cool to pick up. And Voodoo number five comes out on the 25th of January, along with Teen Titans number five, which Caitlin may have an appearance, but I'm... I'm not thinking that one's very probable. It's weird. Now Now we're doing these weird appearances. Hey, will they or won't they each month? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think that one's going to... I think the Teen Titans is really starting to focus on their core characters now, now that they're starting to come together as a team. And just to remember, as these issues come out, you know, all these books are available digitally, either through DC Comics website or comicsology.com, day and date, every Wednesday. So get them or go. Please support your local comic shop. Yeah, it has it is turning kind of into a Horace Waldo game for us Boston <laughs> fans, you know. And thankfully, like I said, we have people at Clark's Bar who are uh, helping keep up with that. I did give them a shout out, you know, sent them a couple of private messages because they are helping not only with this, but with the wiki too. Because I get to, you know, even though I might not pick up some of those issues, I'll at least put them on the wiki. So yeah, that's super helpful. <laughs> And uh, speaking of speaking of the guys at Clark's Bar, uh, be sure and go visit them. They're they're at the Higher Authorities message boards, which is uh, run by our uh, friend of the show, Chris Stryker. And uh, he also runs the Stormwatch site, uh, which is stormwatch.ws. And the Higher Authority is theauthority.ws. And uh, our friends over at the DC Wormhole podcast. Uh, actually have two episodes out as of right now, uh, four and five, and they are at culturalwormhole.com, and they're continuing to cover several of the new uh, 52 books, and uh, you know I think we between both our podcasts, we've been doing pretty good about keeping up with, uh, with all the stuff. They're covering a lot of the main DCU titles, and we've got all the Wildstorm stuff, so... So definitely go over and give them a listen, too. So, And that tell us, people, how to find us, Ben. All right. You can contact Joe or I. Joe is at twitter.com slash grifter78. Uh, you can look me up. I'm YoYoMaster146 at the Wildstorm Resource Wiki. Or you can contact both of us on Wildstorm Addiction. We're twitter.com slash wildstormaddict. Or you can email us directly, wildstormaddiction at gmail.com. Hit us up. Please comment or tweet us. Comment on one of Joe's reviews on the site. You know, let us know what you think of where the, you know, where the Daemonite invasion may or may not happen in the new DCU. You know, how all of this is really starting to interact and how Wildstorm is going to take over. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just heard the DCU fans collective, collectively scream. <laughs> <That groan>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, well, thanks a lot, guys. Have a good month.